We're just going to go through one chapter today, which uh, will be great. And then from there, we obviously have the Boston service. And then we have uh, a special service about engaging your heart. And then bring your neighbor day. So the next time we get to Ecclesiastes 6, Wade Gallon is going to preach it. So that'll be awesome. Uh, he's going to be preaching chapter 6. And then we're going to continue on with our series. Amen. So we are doing a, I guess, a three-part series throughout the whole fall. Life death and beyond. And, uh, you know, one of the elementary teachings in, in Hebrews 6 is judgment, right? And is the resurrection. And for us to, as disciples, I want to challenge you. Do you understand the resurrection? Do you understand what it's going to be like? You know, it, it's actually a very biblical thing, a bodily resurrection, an immortal bodily resurrection. Think about it for a second. Jesus ate with the disciples, didn't he? How do you eat with a disciple if you're just a spirit, right? He was a physical being, and he's the firstborn among the dead. So we are going to actually be tangible, immortal bodies when we rise from the dead. And I don't know, all the movies we see, right? They, they, it's like, you know, people are kind of like ghosts, and they're on the clouds, right? And they're kind of laying on a cloud, you know? And, and, and you're like, oh, is that going to be heaven? No. And that's how I know for a fact there's going to be eating in heaven, which I'm so excited about, right? And I'm going to sit next to John Heritakis, and we are going to have the time of our life speaking about our lives and heaven and everything else. And, and, and we're going to have a, a feast, the Bible says, a banquet, right? And, but what happens before heaven when you die? Well, the Bible mentions paradise. That, you know, a lot of people think, oh, you know, that person's in heaven right now. No, they're not. And that's what we're going to be talking about. They're not in heaven. And I'd like to challenge you to think differently about it. They're in a place called paradise. Where is Katie, you know, Mullen, Cripps, who is our dear sister who passed away? She is in paradise. If you like pina colada, you know. And, you know, you, that's, where, that's where she is. She's enjoying herself. No more pain for her. No more treatments for her. And that's just a waiting room for heaven. And so we have so much to be encouraged about, church, that, that God's like, you know what? I, I got to get you prepared to, to go to heaven, not just with life, but with paradise, because I need to take you through an orientation a little bit about the next world. Amen. It, it's going to be a little daunting, you know, a little bit, you know, transforming for us. Right. I mean. Uh, I got, you know, thinking about Georgetown going to school, right, you know, getting his PhD. It's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a big time, you know, orientation change, right? What about heaven? You have to go through that. And so that's why we're going to talk about this. As disciples, we need to know what happens after we die because we preach the word, because we need to understand what is hell? What is that about? You know, is it, are you going to meet the devil with a pitchfork and he's like, ah, you're here finally, I get to torture you. No. You know, what, you know what he's going to be doing? He's not going to be even near you. He's going to be suffering. He's not going to be doing any more torturing or tormenting or tempting because he himself will be thrown into the lake of fire, tormented forever. We will crush his head under our feet, even though he struck the heel of Jesus. And so we're going to talk all about that, okay? But before we talk about death and beyond, we've got to talk about life. And that's what the book of Ecclesiastes is about. It's about life. 
you know, life and how to live it in a spiritual way, how to live in this consumer world in America. How do we as disciples live in America? You think, well, America is a great country. Well, spiritually speaking, it's not the easiest country to live in. And, and, you know, you think, oh, the people, you know, in other places, they're getting persecuted. It's much harder. You know, third world country is much harder. Danielle and I have been to a third world country. We've lived there for two years. It's easier to be spiritual there than it is to be spiritual here. And so we need to have deep convictions about what life's supposed to be like. That life is not just something that, okay, let me live like my coworker lives. You do not want to live like your coworker. Who's not a disciple because your coworker is just another one of the cattle streaming along with the rest. We need to live differently. Amen. We need to live backwards. And that's what the series is about. Living backwards. The book of Ecclesiastes. And we went through chapter 1, chapter 2, chapter 3, chapter 4, chapter 5. And after every sermon, I play a little, one of my favorite songs, which is fun to do. Last time, the first time we did this sermon, 1 and 2... We play dust in the wind. I close my eyes. Right? You know that song? That song's an awesome song. We played it, right? But listen to the lyrics. I close my eyes only for a moment, and the moment's gone. All my dreams pass away before my eyes of curiosity. Dust in the wind. All they are is just dust in the wind. Same old song. Just a drop of water in the endless sea. All we do crumbles to the ground, though we refuse to see dust in the wind. This world refuses to recognize that they're going to die. They do everything else to try to avoid that fact. They try to avoid it with bigger, shinier things, with, with legacies and with... I mean, people, as I talked about last Sunday, they freeze themselves so they won't die. We need to understand that death is just a part of the beginning for us as disciples. But we also need to realize that we're not that important. That our legacy is with Christ, not with this world. Guess what? My, grand, my grandson is not going to know who Steve Jobs is. He's going to go, who's Steve Jobs? That's a weird name. I remember I asked, I asked Manny, I asked Manny all the time, do you know who Arnold Schwarzenegger is? Who's that? He's living today. You know, Arnold Schwarzenegger is a big time star. Some of you guys don't even know. You're asking right now, who is Arnold Schwarzenegger? (laughs) The Bible says you're going to be forgotten. You're going to be forgotten. Why do we want legacy? Well, because Ecclesiastes 3 says we have eternity on our hearts, right? And even though there's seasons and time, we still have eternity on our hearts. So we're like the animals in that we die, unfortunately. Like we go to the dust, but we know there's something after. And so we can never be satisfied in this life without eternity. You know, I don't believe atheists just want to die. They don't want to die. Are you kidding me? I challenge atheists all the time. You, you're gonna, your last breath is going to be your last breath. Oh, yes. And I'm like, you're lying. You're lying to yourself. You know there's something afterwards. And they get all mad at me, and I go back at them. We go back and forth, and I walk away saying, liar. <laughs> They're a liar. Eternity. My Bible says eternity is on the heart of everyone. I know that for a fact because when I go to funerals, people that don't believe in God in my family ask me, where do you think they are right now? Oh, so we're opening up this can of worms right now. (laughs) 
you want to talk about this at a funeral? Not really. I don't really want to address this right now. Something out of my heart came out, and I don't really want to talk about it. But I do. You know, they don't say that. But that's what they say. And so we as disciples, we need to have deep convictions about life, death, and beyond. We need to be able to help people through as we're getting oriented, right, with the scriptures. No. You know, death is a part of life. And life is a part of death. Every day someone dies. Every day someone lives. Every day someone's born. I mean, you look on the stats. You see, during this sermon, there'll be people that will die and the people that will be born. <laughs> Crazy, right? All over the world. And more people are being born than, than dying right now, which is crazy. That's why the population is growing. If you do the math, it makes sense. Today, and then, and then, and then last, last week, we talked about life's all about relationships. And, and you know, the, the Solomon, he hated life, but then he, he goes through the wisdom. He tries to find the wisdom. He tries to find the pleasure. He tries to find it with achievement. And he realizes he's just chasing the wind. He's just trying to hold the smoke. It's going through his fingers, right? And then he says, life's all about relationships. And then what really just was amazing for me was right smack in the middle of Ecclesiastes is this chapter 5 that I don't even get. I'm just going to confess. It's one of those chapters that, you know, he's talking almost to a secular audience. And then he's like, now let me talk to you religious people. Well, I, I was with you. You know, go Solomon, go Solomon, get those people, get those worldly people, you know. And, and, and all of a sudden, you know, Solomon's like, well, you're worldly too, so you better listen. And then all of a sudden he goes, let me talk to you religious people. And I'm like, go Solomon, what? What do you mean? What, you're talking about religion? Thought, I thought we'd just keep going with this whole riches and all the things, you know. And let's keep going with the meaningless thing. No, no, I'm going to talk about how you approach God. Religious person. And so it's super challenging, amen? We're going to talk today about Ecclesiastes 5. And uh, just before we do that, I do want you to download our app because each week there's three questions. And I do want you to take it seriously. Go through these three questions. All the sermons that I've done so far have these three questions, each sermon. That if you answer them, your life will be changed. They've been, they've been changing my life to go through them, to think about it, Right? And we have three questions today that we're going to ask you guys to go through. Amen? Uh, but you can find that on our app. You go on our, our, our actual website, Casco Bay COC, and then you just push that button right there, you know, right, right here, and you'll be able to download your app on your smartphone, which will be great. But it also has all the, the, the sermons that we've been done so far, uh, which will be helpful. Um, Standing off God, that's the title of the message today. It's, it's going to be, a, I think, a rather quick one because... There's not much to say, but it's something to contemplate. Amen. Um, let's read in Ecclesiastes 5 together. Guard your steps when you go to the house of God. Go near to listen rather than offer the sacrifice of fools who do not know what they do wrong. Do not be quick with your mouth. Do not be hasty in your heart to utter anything before God. God is in heaven and you on earth. So let your words be few. A dream comes when there are many cares and many words mark the speech of a fool. When you make a vow to God, do not delay in fulfilling it. He has no pleasure in fools. Fulfill your vow. It is better not to make a vow than to make one and not to fulfill it. 
Do not let your mouth lead you into sin and do not protest to the temple messenger. My vow was a mistake. Why should God be angry at what you say and destroy the work of your hands? Much dreaming and many words are meaningless. Therefore, fear God. If you see the poor oppressed in a district and justice and rights denied, do not be surprised at such things. For one official is eyed by a higher one and over them both are higher still. The increase in the land is taken by all, and the king himself profits from the field. Whoever loves money never has enough. Whoever loves wealth is never satisfied with their income. This, too, is meaningless. As good increase, so do those who consume them. And what benefit are they to the owners except to feast their eyes on them? The sleep of a laborer is sweet, whether they eat little or much. But as for the rich, their abundance permits them no sleep. I've seen a grievous evil under the sun, wealth hoarded to the harm of its owners, or wealth lost through some misfortune, so that when they are, have children, there is nothing left for them to inherit. Everyone comes naked from their mother's womb, and as everyone comes, so they depart. They have nothing, they take nothing from their toil that they can carry in their hands. This too is a grievous evil. As everyone comes, so they depart, and what you do they gain, since they toil for the wind. All their days they eat in darkness with great frustration and affliction and angry anger. This is what I observe to be good, that it's appropriate for a person to eat, to drink, and to find satisfaction in their toilsome labor under the sun during the few days of life God has given them, for this is their lot. Moreover, when God gives, them some, gives someone wealth and possessions and the ability to enjoy them, to accept their lot and to be happy in their toil. This is, the, is a gift of God. They seldom reflect on the days of their life because God keeps them occupied with gladness of heart. You know, this is a very deep, deep chapter. And it starts with guard your steps when you come to the house of God. Guard your steps. You know, in reference, the temple was made, Amen. And how do you come into the temple? That's what basically um, Solomon is trying to address. And this grandiose temple that was made. We know in the Bible that people that did not guard their steps when they came into the temple got smoked. You know, it's not often preached on Sunday. But Aaron's sons burned incense wrong. And they were toasted. And the thing that always gives me chills to my spine is that Aaron remained silent. The father of his two sons did not weep or cry over them. He didn't grieve over them because he knew what they did was so wrong. They defamed God. And God is to be feared. God is to be feared. God is to be respected. Amen? And then we see... That Korah's rebellion, the rebellion that Korah had, it doesn't just have, happen in a temple, right? When they, uh, they uh, uh, fought against God's authority, the ground opened up and swallowed these people. And then went over them, right? We know that Eli's son, they were eating the meat and they were messing around and they were not being reverent before God. And God said through a young 12-year-old man, a young 12-year-old boy named Sam, that he, these, these 
these young sons are going to die because they did not guard their steps. New Testament, Ananias and Sapphira, you know, they, they lied about their offering and God struck them dead. You go, whoa, this is God? Yes, this is God. He's jealous for his name. He is loving, but he's also unapproachable. And for us to come in callously to any assembly of God is a grave mistake. You know, and, and I, I'm, I, I thank Jesus for the blood of Jesus. Amen? Because it washes over me. You know, what does this mean for us personally? Well, what it meant for them was every uh, family made a vow before God. This is what I'm going to give to you, God. And they were to fulfill that vow. Amen? So they had to think about what they were going to say before God. And how they came in. You know, the sacrifice of fools. What does that mean to us now? <laughs> I'm going to say I don't know in some ways because I don't. I, I'm going to give you some things to think about. But I don't think it should be defined. We're to come into church with reverence and awe. We're to come to church prepared to worship. We're to come to church not looking to criticize other people speaking or singing, but to, to point our worship above. Amen? Amen? You know, we're to go to church to learn, to listen. The word listen means to obey. We're to come to church to be more obedient than we were when we came in. You're, if your obedience doesn't rise after church, you're not listening. You're not listening to the word. It's going one ear out the other. That's what James says. You know, James and Solomon could be buds. You know what I mean? They're both pessimistic in some ways. You know? And there's a way to teach pessimistic teaching like this that does more sometimes than the hype excitement, right? Some people like the hype excitement. Some people like the pessimism. We got to learn how to learn both. What do you mean? You like the pessimism? They don't like the bells and whistles. Don't, don't throw the balloons around. You know, we don't need the smoke and, you know, mirrors. We need obedience. And that's what God wants. You know, God cares about how you come into church. God cares. And, and, and I'm so overwhelmed by this because I am the worst sinner. When it comes, I'm everything I do, I'm basically coming before God. Because when two or three are gathered, there he is. So I'm going to a party today, a birthday party, and I'm going to be amongst the house of God because I'm going to have a lot of disciples around me. Every meeting I go to is a house of God. You know, the, the USM Wish Camper building becomes a house of God when two people enter it that are disciples. And for us to think about what we're doing, to think about how we're encouraging, the word I want to say is consider what you're doing. Think ahead. Plan ahead. You know the Boy Scout motto. Be. What's the Boy Scout motto? Be prepared. Be prepared. I think this is the best way to describe how we need to come into worship. Prepared. Oh. I, 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 you know. The offerings come around. 
Eeny, meeny, miny, mo, catch a tiger by the toe, throw it in there. No, we need to come prepared. Have you thought about your offering? Have you thought about how God feels about it? Jesus was looking in the plate. That's what's crazy to me. He's looking in the plate. He's like looking in the plate. And all these people are giving their money. And he noticed the silver, the copper coin, right, of that lady. Noticed it. And said, do you see this? You think your offering is insignificant? What about hers? But God knows not just what you give, the amount, but the heart. That's the currency he's looking at. He's looking at the heart. She just gave a million dollars in God's sight. You know, I love those movies when they see the world differently. And all I can think about now is Shallow How, which is awful, right? But, but Shallow How, you know, he sees the world differently. You know, God sees the world differently than we do. We see the rich people. We see these things. And God looks at people who are poor as rich and rich as poor. We see that in the book of Revelation. Let us be prepared. Here's some things I want you to be prepared about as you enter the assembly. Who are you going to encourage? Who are you going to encourage? Well, I'm getting encouraged. Who's, who's encouraging me? No, the Bible says encourage one another daily. It's an action verb. It's actually a command. Encourage, spur, admonish. Who are you going to admonish? You're like, oh man, who am I going to admonish? I haven't thought about that. But we need to be spurred on. You know, I appreciate Charlene. She brought in some things to encourage a brother and sister. And she gave it to me. And she said, will you give it to this couple? I want to encourage them as they move in. And I was like, yes, I will. Thank you for doing that. And I left it here at the Wish Camper building. It had a card in it. And let's just say my brain was in all different places. And I feel really bad about it. I honestly feel bad about it. And she, you know, I, I asked for forgiveness from her. And she said, don't worry about it. Relax. It's okay. I appreciate her forgiveness. But I appreciate her coming two hours away being prepared. Thinking about how she can encourage someone. That's amazing. That, that challenges me. We need to come prepared to encourage. Who are we going to encourage today? Well, you know, I'm going to go meet someone and encourage them, or I'm going to give them a card, or I'm going to give them a hug, or I'm just going to share something in my quiet time I learned. Who are we going to go and encourage, amen? Amen. Then they, you know, what are we going to, during communion, I don't know about you, how many communions have you been a part of? A lot, probably. But you know what? I I don't rely on the speaker to lead me only toward the cross. It's your responsibility to lead yourself to the cross. I try to come with a scripture prepared just in case I'm not moved by your communion. And you need to come with a scripture prepared unless you're not moved by my communion. And thinking about scriptures like that, they are so huge. You know, one that I always love is when he broke bread, they recognized him. And I miss Jesus sometimes, and I need to recognize him when the bread is broken. Amen? But just thinking about communion... You know, I was so convicted because these Muslims in, in Albania that I was preaching to that became Christians, they looked at communion like nobody I've ever seen in the American churches. There was this guy, he was 
supposedly announcements, and he was just crying in his little communion cup, just praying so fervently. And I was like, bro, you gotta do the offering. Get up there, bro. He's like, and I'm like, whoa. I, just stay there, bro. <laughs> stay there. We'll wait for you, you know? Then half my church left one Sunday during communion. And I was like, what happened to my church? You know what I mean? Like, what happened to the people? They're gone. That's not many people. Not all of them are ushers. What's happening? So during communion, I take my, I go out there, and there's these brothers. They're circled up. And I'm like, well, this is weird. Bro, we can't take communion. A bunch of us are not resolved. So we're going to make sure God's not pleased with us to take communion if we don't examine ourselves. And I was like, you guys keep going, man. Keep going. You know what I mean? And so for me, it's like I remember their picture. I remember their hearts. And, and, and they looked at what a privilege it is. My, my dad, he was your whole witness. And he could never take communion in the witnesses because there was only 144,000 people that could take communion. And so the first time he took communion was the day after he was baptized. And for him, communion is such a privilege. Amen. And I'm like, oh, help me, Lord. I'm like, whoa, whew, uh, yeah. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? I want to be still and focus on the cross. Get everyone out of your head and fix your eyes on Jesus during communion. Guard your steps, amen? amen. Being prepared with your offering. You know, we need to outshine the Old Testament. We're the greater covenant, church. Amen. You know, they came prepared. They had to bring an animal. They had, I mean, imagine bringing an animal that you love to church or to the temple that you were going to kill. That is hardcore, man. It hurt for them to give their offering. It wasn't just something that they did because they didn't go through the motions when they're killing one of their favorite sheep. Because usually the favorite one is the one that looks the best. I'm just keeping it real. And usually the favorite sheep is the one unblemished. Right? So you're bringing your favorite sheep because of your sin. That does something for you, doesn't it? Yeah. Now we have the amazing gift of Jesus, who is even greater than that. But our offering needs to mean something. Amen? Amen. And, and I don't know. I mean, I don't take many vows because of this passage. <laughs> But our offering needs to be a promise, at least, or a commitment to our God. Amen? Amen. And if you're doing it great in that area, keep going. But if you need to step it up, step it up. Because God's watching. It's not something that's just going to happen because you're, God's not going to just, oh, yeah, we're in the old, we're new covenant now. No, we're not. We're in, the, we're, in, we're in God's new covenant. Same God. Same God. Guard your steps. When we sing... Are we concentrating on the words? And I'm not trying to come at you, church. I'm just saying, are we thinking about the words? Are we like, I hate this song, whatever. You can learn from this song. You can learn from it. You know, I'll tell you what, a secret. The world is not my home. I'm just a passing through. I literally think about country people dancing. The world's not my home. I'm just a passing through. And I used to do that as a young Christian. I used to kind of start dancing, you know what I mean? And, and I feel so ashamed that I did that. Because in some ways, man, the words in that song are so meant. So even though it's a little bit hokey beat, I can learn from it. Go to church to learn, to listen. 
Listen to the Holy Spirit at church. What's the Spirit saying to you? You know, witnessing at church. How are you going to witness at church? Who are you going to bring to church? You know, I, you, I dare say us, sometimes we come to church carelessly. We get out of bed, grab our Bible. I made it to church. You know, amen, you made it to church. That's encouraging. I'm, I'm grateful for that. You got to be there, right? Thomas wasn't at church and he missed Jesus. So you were, you're, you're better than Thomas was his first Sunday, right? He missed Jesus. You know, imagine missing Jesus. Wait, what do you mean? Jesus is here? No. And he got defensive. No, he wasn't. You know? No, he was here. You missed it. You missed it. You overslept, bro. You know? Again, guard your steps. Guard your steps. Come to church prepared. You know, we take our jobs more seriously than church sometimes. We get prepared for our work more than we get prepared to meet the living God. We all got to step it up. We can do that. This Sunday, we can do it. Coming up. We can do that today. We can consider while I'm preaching. Who are we going to encourage? What is going to be meaningful for us? Amen? That's the longest part of my sermon. I think that's the most important part of my sermon. Right? This is what we want to see happen. We want people to fall down. And I want to be one of those people and worship and say, God is really among you. There's services where that happens. And I feel that deeply. One of those services when Janet got up and she shared about her repentance plan. And we need to get back to that. We had a revival like a couple years ago where people got up and shared their repentance publicly to the church. It was powerful. Maybe the Holy Spirit's saying that to do again maybe, right? But as she was sharing, some person came in and started yelling at Janet. You're not supposed to be speaking publicly about God in a public university and started yelling at Janet. And I was like, oh, my goodness, Janet's getting persecuted right now by this massive man. (laughs) And then she started speaking with love back to him. And it was a back and forth. So you don't believe in God. No, I don't believe in him. How would you explain? She starts just talking about creation and the stars. And I'm like, you go, girl. You know what I mean? And it, that didn't necessarily stop him from keep yelling. We had to talk to him and go forth and say, you know, we, we need you to leave, you know. And, and I went up to him and, and, and I, I thought, this is the funny, I thought he was intimidated by it. He's like, don't, don't come up with me with your big selves trying to intimidate me. And I didn't see the big brother behind me. <laughs> I'm not trying to intimidate you, but if it does, you know. And then right behind his big brother's like, okay, I don't understand what's happening. I don't understand what's happening right now. But the Holy Spirit moves in these services, amen? But you know, it's not the responsibility of just the preacher or the singers or the, or the people. It's your responsibility to prepare yourself to meet your God. Amen? All right, we're moving on. Do not be surprised. I love this, expe- this, this quote on expectation. This is a real deep one. Expectation is the root of all heartache. I get into so many bumps with my wife because of this word, expectation. So now, at, that's why I get into less bumps now because we're on the same page more than we used to be. But we have expectations of how this world can be. And what does he say in Ecclesiastes? He says, don't be surprised when things happen, when people are oppressed, 
Wow, don't we need to hear that message? Don't be surprised. We get surprised. We get so surprised we, we, we blog about it and we yell about it and we say, freedom, freedom, we need our rights. And not that we shouldn't speak up, but this day and age, everyone's surprised. You looked at me weird. What does Solomon say? Don't be surprised. Don't be surprised when things like this happen. We get surprised, church, that we live in a sinful world that's not a utopia. (laughs) Can we get some help for a second? It says that what is crooked cannot become straight. And so why are we getting surprised when there are wars in in our world? Why are we surprised when sinful people hurt other people? Why are we surprised, church? Don't be surprised. That's what he says. Don't be surprised when someone's stepping on someone else. Because that's the way of the world. And that's why we don't want this world. That's why this world's not enough. You know, I love all the progress we've made. And not to say we can't speak up. But the truth is, we are never going to have peace in this world. John Lennon he wasted 10 years of his life just saying, oh, we, I'm going for world peace. It was a, a, a tough uphill battle. Amen? And amen. Everyone that speaks, everyone that shares, there's a power in the, the spoken word, word. Amen? And not to say his life was, but, but all we are saying is give peace a chance. Really? How is that working? Without Jesus, there can be no peace. There can be no peace. He's the prince of peace. We cannot change this world. But I can change my neighbor's world. And I can change individual hearts with God's word one at a time. I'm not trying to change this world. I'm just trying to change you. And I want you to change me. And I'm trying to change one person at a time. And yes, they make up the world, but the world's going to get worse and worse, church, until Jesus comes back. And we can't be surprised when you aren't treated fairly. You have to say, oh, look at that. That happened again. Good thing I have Jesus as my personal Lord and Savior. Good thing I'm going to paradise, the waiting room, and then I'm going to heaven. The disciples weren't surprised because Jesus warned them. The disciples viewed persecution as suffering like their Lord. Imagine getting whipped and flogged and then rejoicing. How weird would that have been for the flogger? Woo! Yeah! Are you fired up, bro? I'm fired up. Do you get whipped? Dude, look at my back, man. It got so whipped. Just like Jesus. What's happening here? They must have been scared of these people. You know, they weren't surprised, church, at the oppression that was happening. They weren't surprised, you know. Jesus had a pessimistic view of the human heart. I hate to say it. He said, what does he say? Jesus would not entrust himself to them, for he knew all people. He did not need any testimony about mankind, for he knew what was in each person. Now, God knows he can change us. His Holy Spirit can give us a new heart. Amen. We can all become different. We've changed. We know that. But when it comes to mankind, he's got a low expectation. 
We expect people to be good to us. We expect people in the church to be good to us. That's not going to happen all the time. Don't be surprised if someone in the church who's a sinner hurts you. I'm here for Jesus. Who are you for? I'm here for Jesus. I'm not here to have friends. I'm not here for everything to go well. I'm here for Jesus. I want to see his face. If people betray me or hurt me in the church, so be it. I'm not surprised. Guess what? I'm going to be surprised because I'm, I'm, I'm foolish like these rest of the people. I'm going to be surprised, but I've got to remember that scripture. Don't be surprised. Don't be surprised. Expectation is the root of heartache. That's what happens to people. Young disciples, they get hurt and they're like, oh, I thought this was the church, man. I thought this was the church. People were supposed to be nice to me. That one brother was bad to me. I'm out of here. This ain't the church. And I'm making fun, but it's true. Who are we here for? Who are we here for? Well, so-and-so, they moved away. Well, who are we here for? All my friends, where they go? Make new ones. You'll have 10 friends. If you had five friends that left you, if you add five more, then you have 10 friends. What an opportunity. But the truth is we get surprised. And Solomon, sometimes I'm learning, I've got to have a more pessimistic view on mankind. We're good, but we're bad. What's he say here? <laughs> this is a crazy scripture. This only have I found. I mean, I think Solomon's found a lot of things, but this only have I found. God created mankind upright, but they have gone in search of many schemes. Whoa. How is that even in the same sentence? I don't know. <laughs> that fruit messed us up, man. <laughs> messed us up. But someday, that won't be the case. That part of the sentence will be out of there. I'll just be upright. It's beautiful. It's wonderful. It's awesome. Amen? You know, then he talks about riches, and we know the scripture, and I'm not going to even read the whole thing. Just write it down. First Timothy 6, 6 through 10. Godliness with contentment is great gain. For brought nothing in the world, we can take nothing out. The love of money is the root of all evil. Amen? It's funny how I feel like Solomon and Paul are saying a lot of the same things. Solomon used, uh, uh, I mean, uh, Paul used a lot of the wisdom books I'm seeing as you look through the uh, book, you know, the, his, his epistles. You realize those are some of his favorite writings because he quotes the Proverbs. He quotes Solomon. He quotes Job, right? He quotes these people, you know? And it's interesting how he used the wisdom books to teach the church. We can still use these wisdom books, right? To teach the church, amen? amen. To teach the church. And last but not least, God is the only one. And he's the only giver. He's the only one that gives gifts. That's really hard for me to grasp. That everything good in your life is directly given from God. I'm going to say sometimes I don't believe that. Because I go try to chase it myself. Let me get the good gifts. Let me get the good gifts. Let me get the good gifts. And God's like, I'm the one that gives it to you. Just come to me. I, I got you. Just come to me. You know? 
he ends, you know, and it's tough because he says naked, he comes from the mother's womb, naked he will return. We've already talked about some of these things. He's reiterating the truth, the fact that just enjoy your work. You know, wealth is, is not a blessing every time. If it doesn't come from God, if it can't be enjoyed, it's not a blessing. God's the only one that can give you joy in your life. And so when you can't enjoy it, you just want more. And, and more people consume it. <laughs> so as you get more money, people are eating it, right? And the only thing you can do is just look at it. That's the only benefit of wealth. Oh, look at that. Look at them eating that. Look at them eating that. Look at the, I have to get more so they can eat that. I have lots of mouths to feed. I get an assistant. I got an entourage. I got all these things. I got to feed them all. And then I have to work more. Man, that's hard. That's what he says. But wealth in itself is not terrible. If it can be enjoyed with God. You know, do you bring God into the picture with all the gifts you have? That's a hard thing to do. But I want to remind you to do it. You know, every good and perfect gift comes from above. Amen? Amen. Do not say... Why were the old days better than these? For it's not wise to ask such a person. That's such a question. That's the next chapter, right? Next two chapters from now. But he ends, he says, They seldom, verse 20, reflect on the days of life because God keeps them occupied with gladness of heart. Do you ever think, man, the good old days? Back in the good old days. The Bible says that's not wise. This is the day the Lord has made. Now is the best part of my life. You know, for, for many years, I was saying, man, once this happens, then everything's going to be okay. Once that happens. And then, then you actually get that. And you're like, oh, once this happens. You start saying the same thing. The truth is, we have to realize that living in the present with God is better than anything else you can do. Are you enjoying... Are you going to enjoy your lunch today? Are you going to enjoy looking at your loved ones or the people you care about? Or even just being alone and just eating your lunch? There's something nice about that too. And just say, God, thank you for this gift. I want us to start saying something. What a gift. What a gift. You know... I'm going to start saying, it's going to get annoying. (laughs) What a gift. Because I need to remind myself that this moment in time is a gift. You know, we know, you know, Bob Gempel passed away. A great, great hero in the faith. Last last year, he was here doing the communion, guys. Do you remember that? He was doing the communion. Did you think... I mean, that guy was like, mm. you know, I was like, I want to be him when I grow up. He's trim and strong and he's lifting. I went to his place in Boston. And he, he, he got me some lobster, which was really nice. And he sat down and he's like, let me show you my house. And he's moving stuff around. He's picking up logs last summer, putting them in. He showed me his little solar panel system. And he was so excited about that. And he's an engineer at heart. So he's getting all excited to me. I'm like, he's really excited about his solar panels, you know. And he's fired up and he's passionate. And I'm like, this guy's going to live 20 more years. Do you know what? That's not the case. 
He's still living in a beautiful place right now. But every day is a gift. Every day is a gift. This day, September 1st, 2019. One of the things I do now in my journal, it's kind of, it's kind of crazy. There's an app that I have online that I use or, or a, a website. And it tells you how many days you've lived on life. And I've lived 15,251 days, I believe. If you include leap years to it, it puts the leap years in there too. And I thought, what a gift. 15,000 days, man. How amazing is that? And this, is, this, this day will never be ever gotten again, right? And I remember, you know, that's what Moses is teach us, to number our days aright. Every day is a gift. You know, Monday's hopefully a holiday for you guys. But when Monday rolls around, oh, what a gift. I get to work today. Some people don't have to, are not even able to work. What a gift. What a gift. What a gift that I'm tired because I poured myself out yesterday. What a gift. What a gift that I don't have a lot of food today. Because it'll keep me str- slim. What a gift. What a gift. You know, what a gift that I get to preach to you right now. What a gift, you know. Um, we're going to play this uh, song right now um, that I love. It's from Third Day. And you're going to learn. I'm very eclectic <laughs> in my music, okay? But... Um, one of them is going to be Fiddler on the Roof, so you can know. This is getting really crazy. But this one is from Third Day, and I love it because it's called Offering. It's a great song, and I love this song because I think this is the heart of how we need to come when we, whenever we come before the church. You know, the bride of Christ. You know, it's cool how, it's kind of cool how people treat my wife with respect. I just appreciate you guys, you know? And even the bros that mess around me, they'll be nice to the bride, you know? They'll be nice to the bride. <laughs> hey, you, you, you're, so, you're so smelly, Glenn. Ah, and then they're like, oh, hi, Danielle. <laughs> you know, they're like so nice to, you know? I'm like, what happened? You just turned into a different person, you know? Well, that's your wife. Can't be doing that, you know? And what's the, Jesus' bride is the church. We need to come, not fake, not, not trying to be someone we're not. Come as you are, Amen. Become prepared. Imagine every time you come to church, and it's hard to do this, what if you had a rope on your leg and you were about to enter the Holy Holies? And the reason they have the rope on your leg is that you're approaching God. And if you did something wrong, they had to take you out. But they didn't want to go in because they weren't the high priest. So they had to take you out that way you know that's that's our God but he loves you and he died for you isn't that mind blowing for a second that this God who's terribly powerful loves you so much imagine realizing imagine one of those guards realizing I struck the creator of life in the face you gotta believe one of those guards came to Christ One of those people that beat Jesus realized, what have I done? But that's the powerful God that we serve. And when we come to church, we don't just bring an offering. We bring our whole lives to God. Amen? Amen. So this is the... uh,
song. I hope you enjoy it. And then we'll, um, why don't we just finish, finish. No last song. This will be our last song. And then we'll have a prayer after the song and we'll have a good fellowship.